Welcome to the Nurse Leader Network Podcast with your host, Chris Racinos. Wherever you're going on your nurse leader journey, we're here to help you get there. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Nurse Leader Network Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Racinos, and today we have another amazing guest. Sherika from the Starter Nurse Academy is here today with us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Now, Sharika, you have some amazing story. I know we have a similar history. So why don't we jump into the episode with you just telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, what's that, what are you kind of currently working on? Absolutely. So thank you for having me. My name is Dr. Sherika Miller, and I am the founder of Starter Nurse Academy. So we are a professional development company for new graduate nurses, mainly focusing on interviewing and resume skills. But my background, I've been a nurse 15 years. Um, So I started off as a bedside nurse, working in pediatrics, went on and uh, got board certified as a pediatric nurse practitioner, kept going on and got my PhD from UCLA in 2017. And so my full-time occupation is working as an assistant professor for a nursing school out here in Southern California, teaching pediatrics, uh, mentoring, writing, and then also working on grants and different service uh, things with foster youth and things like that. And of course, you know, as you and I have talked about in the way that we connected is that we both have that foster care background. So, and that definitely is a big part of what shaped who I am. So I spent 12 years of my childhood bouncing in and out of foster care. Um, I think I had somewhat of a unique experience because I did bounce in and out. And so there were times when I was with uh, actually both of my parents, uh, but my dad sold drugs and my mother used drugs. And so it was just a lot of instability. Even though it was two parents at the house, it was just a lot of instability. So we would go back with them and last for maybe, you know, eight, nine, 10 months. Um, then maybe my dad would go to jail. Then my mother would be so strung out and couldn't take care of us. Social workers would show up at our elementary schools, pull us out, send us to foster care for a year. They would do the parenting classes, get back clean, get us again. And that would start, you know, all over again. So that's kind of who I am. Yeah. In a nutshell. Wow. I mean, you know, I've lived that foster care life too. And and honestly, I don't know which is worse of the two evils having to return and then think everything's okay for a short amount of time and go back versus just knowing like they're never coming back for you. So, you know, I'm, yeah, I would, I would say that knowing that things may be okay for a little while, what it does is definitely always keeps you on edge and always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And even, even as I become an adult, I've had to learn to not do that, you know, cause it's like, when I would get home, I never could get too comfortable because I knew that other shoe would drop. You know what I mean? And that, that, that living on edge kind of followed me into adulthood where even through college and working and things, I'm always like, you know, waiting on a social worker to come and take it all away from me. So that is the only experience I know for sure. Wow. Uh, What, I mean, what do you think, how was your, what was your earliest uh, memory of wanting to become a nurse? Like did that background have anything to do with how or why you, you went into nursing? Um, I don't necessarily think it did. I think, I think the only thing it did was I knew I wanted to be in a profession where I could make money, to be honest, like right away, right after college. So I think that part factored into it, but I wanted to go into nursing initially, um, 
my dad actually, so I lived in Compton was my last placement and I was placed with my grandmother, my paternal grandmother. And so my father was released from prison uh, my senior year came out of came out of prison and was paroled right at the house where we were living. So I was super excited to have my dad back. He actually like, you know, helped me get ready for prom. And it was like the first time that either of my parents had really been involved in my life. And then he got shot. Um, he got shot in a drive-by shooting, I think near Anthens Park. And, I, and one of my brothers died. Another one of my brothers got shot during that time. And my dad got shot. So I was at basketball camp when this happened. This is pre-cell phones. And my friends uh, came to pick me up from the from the from where the bus dropped us off for basketball camp. And my friend's dad just so happened to be a cop. So he's like, oh, yeah, you guys were gone, you know, Fourth of July weekend. I had already been accepted to college. I didn't know what I was going to study. But, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, it was a big shooting Fourth of July weekend. Um, and this dad and his son got killed. Uh, I can't remember their names, but their last names were Miller. And I was like, oh. So then I realized like it was my dad. So I, I rushed home and I, I'm going to my grandma. And she's like, yeah, your dad got shot. He's at Martin Luther King Hospital. So I went up there and I kept that. They were saying he got shot in the hand, but I heard head. So I was like panicking. So then I get to MLK and that's why I love MLK now to this day. Um, and, and that was, it was a nurse there and I don't remember what she did. You know, I don't remember if she was the best IV hanger and the best medication passer, but like, I remember how she made my family feel. I remember that she didn't make us feel like just another black family affected by gang violence, you know? And, and I just remember her taking me under her wing you know, when I told her I was a CNA and I became a CNA just to make money to survive, you know, in high school. And, and, and that was really what showed me like, oh, it is the nurses, you know, that really have a lasting impact on families. And that's when I really knew I wanted to be a nurse. Wow. That, that your story, like literally just gave me chills. I don't even, I can't even imagine going through that. Um, and, you know, I give a, um, I actually give a talk and it's um, titled Beautiful Things Are Born Out of Adversity. And um, it reminds me of kind of how I got started on my journey. Um, and it was through a loss that, you know, I kind of uh, became a nurse. That's what put me on my journey to becoming a, a nurse and opening up my business. So I can see how despite these things being beyond tragic, how they can have such a positive influence on the world. Wow. Beautiful things are born out of adversity. Love it. Yeah. Oh, man. So, so tell bring me forward to present day. Uh, what got you um, started with Starterners Academy? Why did you decide to start that? And how was that born? So, yeah, I think now, you know, that I've become an adult, I got the PhD, you know, and I think that was like really the first time that I like stopped. Like, you know, I don't have to keep running. You know what I mean? I'd been running, running, running. I got to get this bachelor's. I got to work. I got to get a master's. I got to take care of the family. And so when I got the PhD was the first time I really like stopped and started like living for me. You know, I lost like 55 pounds. I started going to therapy, started working on myself and starting to see that I didn't just have to survive anymore. You know, that I could actually like thrive and do things above and beyond just 
you know, going to work every day and like having a stable job and having a stable income. And so believe it or not, to uh, what really inspired me to start my business was my mother. So she's now been clean and sober 11 years, um, ended up getting her two younger kids back and uh, started writing books. And then she ended up, she started opening a business. Maybe four or five years ago, she opened up a, a boutique in Phoenix called Nickel City. And so I'm like, looking like, damn, you know, she, this lady has, no college experience, no background, was a heroin addict for 25 years, came out of that and was able to start an actual thriving business that now actually has two different stores, okay, and a, and a nail shop inside the store. So that was happening, right? So I'm still doing the safe route, doing nursing, you know. Then my little sister opened a business, right? And she's like 10 years younger than me. So she starts this business, Black on the Job, and she actually hires me to consult and start making classes for her, e-courses for her, and doing coaching for her and facilitating workshops. So I'm like, first of all, if they can do it, I can do it. I'm the one sitting here with a PhD, you know? And And then second of all, all of this work that I'm doing for my sister's business, I can be doing this for myself. So I, I love to tell people that my baby sister and my ex-heroin addict mother are the two that gave me the courage to start the business. And for a long time, I was the only person in the family that was working, that was legal, you know, that could, had a job, had money, had an occupation. And, and then I got so comfortable in just being safe. And then they were showing me like we could take risk and own businesses. So that's kind of what had me do it in terms of getting the courage. The idea for the business really stemmed from working with senior nursing students, teaching leadership courses at UCLA and seeing the, the gross lack of professional development that that they had that school was really focused on you know this is how you pass meds and then but no one was really teaching them how to interview how to do their resume correctly you know they may have had that like one day in class you know that one workshop that one mock interview and then also what i really wanted to focus on initially was the soft skills that nurses need to transition to the bedside being able to prioritize critically think delegate therapeutic communication assertive communication etc but the business kind of turned more towards interviewing a resume because that was the demand and i saw that the new grads don't know that they need the other things yet it's the hospitals that know that so i kind of had to regroup and that's kind of how i want to expand later is more getting contracts with the hospitals to facilitate those sort of soft skills and emotional intelligence that is missing from their preceptorships wow so first of all, congrats to your mom. Oh my God, that is so amazing. Unfortunately, my mom never was able to escape her addiction and she passed from it. Um, oh. So I just want to say a huge kudos to your mom. That's great. And, you know, I guess the saying is kind of true about like sibling rivalry and like how that uh, gets you to motivate, right? I mean, my sister always comp- constantly in competition too. And so I love that that was uh, <laughs> a starting factor for what you're doing. Now, you mentioned something interesting and you talked about, you know, the soft skills and wanting to go into that area with organizations. What do you think are some of the biggest gaps in terms of, be, you know, soft skills and others from the transition of new grad to, you know, working? Yeah, I think nursing school can be a bit technical based, you know, very much so skill based. And especially from a nursing student's perspective, they are overly obsessed with learning the actual hands on skills. 
And they don't realize that when they get to the floor on a typical day, on a typical bed search floor, maybe 20 to 30% of their day is done actually like hands-on skills and IVs and Foley's and stuff. And the rest of the day, they are coordinating the plan of care and moving it forward. And that is a skill in itself. And that skill isn't really taught because clinicals at nursing school is so disjointed. You know what I mean? It's like, go and take those vitals and come back. Let's pass these medications and come back. But they don't really get that chance to see the whole scope of what the nurse does. So I think there's a huge gap there in terms of, and and I, I always say this, if I had a new grad or when I precepted new grads, I would much rather have a new grad, you know, that was organized, that was assertive, that wasn't timid, that knew how to critically think, that could communicate on the phone, that, you know, didn't cry every time a doctor says something mean to them. I'd much rather have that than a new grad that knows how to work the Alaris pump on the first day or put in a Foley, you know, without being in stride. I don't care about it. I can teach you that, but I can't teach you how to communicate. And I work peds. I can't teach you how to communicate with this mother whose child is sick. I can't teach you how to, you know, be assertive and go tell the physician that we need to clarify the orders. So I feel like those soft skills are, that's what really makes you a good nurse. And, and if you think about it, when you're precepting new grads, that's what really makes you think like, wow, I have a really good new grad. You don't think like, wow, the way they programmed that pump was like amazing. I've never seen that. <laughs> what, you, what you really think is like, oh my God, you all should see my new grad. Like she went in there and talked to the family and he did this and she did that, you know? And so those are the skills that really will make them successfully transition. And those are also the skills that will build them into becoming a nurse leader and realizing that their role at the bedside is so much further than just the passing the meds and doing all that, that our impact as a nurse is beyond the bedside. And really those soft skills, that's the beginning of you seeing how you can have an impact, how anybody could really learn how to technically pass meds. People are at home and pass meds. You know what I mean? And, and, but, but, being that that advocate, that leader, that critical thinker, that prioritizer, those are the things that make us who we are. You have just totally hit the nail on the head. I, it makes me wonder if nursing education in, um, institutions should really consider having the very first class that the nurses take. You know, we do this whole professional nursing class, but we don't talk about those types of things. So maybe really like level setting, like what your role really is. And like even putting it on like a pictogram or a graph or something like this is the amount of time you're going to be needing and utilizing your technical skills. And this is the amount of time you're going to be utilizing whatever the other skills are. And that's how you should be going through this program in terms of your focus. Yes. You know, nursing is one of the only disciplines that has a transition to practice program. And so I, I'd love to hear your thoughts around like, is are, is nurses like leading edge because we're recognizing that we need to prepare our nurses into practice? Or is it that we are doing such a terrible job at educating that we are one of the only disciplines that are not ready to hit the ground running when we graduate? What do you think? I don't, I, I think that, I think that we're really at the forefront because I'm not sure that anyone is really trained to enter a profession by the traditional college system. 
Now, I think unless you're doing a vocational-based system, like you're doing automotive, you know what I mean? And you take a one or two-year automotive class where you're actually working on cars the entire time, there is no real transition from that to now your first job working as an automotive, right? But when you go to school to be a psychologist, to be an engineer, to be really anything, I think that there is a disconnect between the classroom and the theory. And even if there's a practicum part, you know, versus what it's actually like in the profession. And I, I would argue that it's it's like that in pretty much every profession. So I think in terms of us having a new grad residency program, that does put us at the forefront, right? But this also grew out of a need because we had a lot of nurse turnover. And, and so I think that, and, and I still feel very strongly that even with the new grad residency programs, that is a huge piece that is missing. That emotional intelligence part, those soft skills part, you know, that's great that now we have these structured, formal programs and this preceptor and this educator that looks after them and these theory courses and this, but who is teaching them, for example, how to deal with those nurses that seem cliquish or don't want to be their friend or, you know, the physician that's like, why are you calling me in the middle of the night? What do you want? You know, who's teaching them how to deal with the family of a patient who's dying and they, or, or a kid that looks up to you, a 10 year old in the PICU and says, am I going to die? You know, who is teaching them how to cope with grief when their patient dies, how to deal how to have self-care and balance between work and life and how to compartmentalize and leave their work problems at work. And that who's teaching them that? So we can do all of this stuff and still have this awesome new grad residency program. But I think until we address that emotional intelligence side of nursing, we're going to have a lot of turnover because we see now, even with the COVID crisis, that even those of us who are experienced hardened nurses are having mental health breakdowns because we've never seen anything like this. And so I think in our profession, that is important. And that really is the missing piece, even with these new grad residency programs. Yeah, you are so right about that. I mean, I, I think, you know, as an organization, for, as organizations, it's important to really look at all of those like emotional intelligence, all of those different aspects and how they um, impact the patient outcome and the bottom line of the organization. Like, I think sometimes we think of those things as being like fluffy or soft. Well, yep. obviously, right. They're even, we even call them soft skills mm -hmm. um, when in actuality, those skills are, are really what is going to impact how your patients feel and experience. And we know that those, you know, that patient experience is really, um, if your patients aren't experiencing good things, they're not coming back to you. So as an organization, yeah. I feel like it's, you know, the foundation and the backbone of uh, providing care is making sure that your nurses are able to to be emotionally intelligent and make those types of decisions and be able to, to set up their boundaries, right, for what's right and what's wrong for themselves and for their patients. And I, and I would argue that, you know, that's important in life. It, it, honestly, how far we go in our careers, how well we do in high school, how how well we do in a sport, you know, really that those soft skills, that emotional intelligence is it's what's going to propel us through life and make us successful with my daughter, who's only four, you know, and she's really smart. You know, she can read really well and all this other stuff. And that's really, that's great. But what I really focus on are like coping skills, deep breathing, how to do what to do when you're upset 
how to be kind and compassionate, how to speak up and say no and, and ownership over her body and setting boundaries. And so I want to teach her the coping skills so that the first time she fails a class, the first time someone breaks her heart, the first time she doesn't get accepted into a certain program, the first time she's under a lot of stress, you know, that she has those tools and those skills to be able to overcome that adversity. So it's the same thing with a nurse. When you see a nurse that, that has lasted 15 years in the profession, you already know what they're about. You know their level of resilience. You know that they've been through it, right? And so when they're new grads, they still think nursing is about how well they can program the Alaris pumps. And they don't really realize like, no, a lot of nursing is going to be about how well you can disconnect from what's happening at home. You know what I mean? And clock yeah. in for 12 hours and, and deal with maybe this one nurse who you don't like and this one physician and, and all these different problems and these uh, going through hoops and insurance and dealing with families and upset parents and blah, blah, blah. And it's really so much more of how well you are equipped to cope with that same thing for nursing school than it is for how smart you are. So I'm now starting with my daughter very young to try to prepare her to be successful in life, not because she'll be smart and can read well, but because she has grown the emotional intelligence to overcome adversity and obstacles in her life. You are like the um, perfect parent on the earth. Like I, I, <laughs> I need to um, start bringing the like. You know, we all think we teach our kids coping, but to be that intentional about it, I think is just brilliant. And I'm taking this course right now. Um, it's a free course by on uh, from Yale, and it's around happiness and happiness. joy. I'm taking, and, I took um, it too. I took it too. Yeah. Oh, isn't it amazing? So, but in that course, it speaks to like America is like the most depressed country in the world, and we are yep. getting more depressed as every year that happens. And so, you know, just thinking about like suicides are on the rise, and um, you know, behavioral health issues are on the rise. All of these things are on the rise and what is what's happening really to our society. So preparing our nurses to be able to really be able to manage and navigate through this, not only for their patients, but even more importantly for themselves um, is just crucial. I'd like to actually pivot and just kind of learn some more about the Starter Nurse Academy. I know uh, we both are PhD prepared, but when I started my program, I actually didn't start it in a PhD program. I actually started the DMP program and then found out about a semester in that it wasn't where I really wanted to go. Um, talk to me about your work around like helping people decide what track they might want to go into. Definitely. So I have started Nurse Academy, but you know, originally I was a nurse career coach and still am a nurse career coach. And I think I definitely specialize in helping people find their path, really listening well to their background, their experience, their education, their goals, and you know, that being part of it. But also, and I as you can tell, I'm really big on the, the mental health and the emotional health, but also in terms of what's important to them, what's their family life, you know, what's their schedule, what's their finances, and then helping them decide really which path is for them, whether doing the DMP is the path for them or doing the PhD is the path for them. And that's kind of mostly the clients I've been working with lately are prospective doctoral students or even current doctoral students and kind of helping them get through that pathway. So I kind of really, um, and I actually started doing this with a two-hour masterclass, a DMP PhD masterclass. Um, so I was doing this as Doc Miller Nurse Coach. Um, that's my Instagram is Doc Miller Nurse Coach. 
coach. So this was kind of unrelated to Starter Nurse Academy. This was like my coaching. And then I have Starter Nurse Academy over here. And then what I did was took that two-hour masterclass and made it into a formal e-course where I cover the differences between DMP and PhD, funding, um, how to articulate your research topic and come up with that early in the process, how to navigate it, how to contact advisors before you apply, what your resume and cover letter and things like that should look like. And so I'm really, really, you know, passionate about helping nurses reach that goal of obtaining a doctorate if that's what they want to do. That's phenomenal. I wish I had you in my life like uh, six or seven years ago when I was working on mine because I was um, totally wasted. A, I don't want to say I wasted a semester. I didn't waste a semester, but it, <laughs> you know, I would have totally gone the PhD route just because of what my interests were in terms of research. So um, you're a godsend. And uh, <laughs> for any of you out there that are contemplating a DMP or a PhD, uh, you got to go check out Sherika. <laughs> so so I have some more, you know, just topics around like education and things that I'd like to ask. And so um, you may or may not know, but I'm biracial. I'm half black and half white. And, um, you know, I wanted to just bring it up in the midst of where we're at. We're sitting in the middle of a pandemic. Um, we have, you know, what feels like, honestly, like a civil kind of war going on. Um, yeah. You know, I just went um, on a camping trip and um I, I had never, I guess because I live in Los Angeles, I had never really felt um, like I had been discriminated. Um, I really just, I just hadn't felt that because we're just, LA is just a different area, right? Like we, we're very, mm -hmm. very diverse. But in this particular area, it was in Northern California, um, you know, my family stood out very much so. And so we were, mm -hmm. we had this one incident where we went to a gas station and my husband um, tried to have conversation with the guy and he, you know, had been really chatty with all the other patrons. And then when we came up, like he didn't want to sell gas to us. Like he, he didn't want to engage in conversation. Wow. He rolled his eyes at my husband and we were just like, like, honestly, we were shocked. We just stood there and looked at each other like, what in the heck? Um, and it made me think back to, um, you know, really like what's going on in healthcare, what's going on in nursing education. I know that um, I recently um, wrote a little piece for you at your university around um, healthcare disparities, um, around race, all of that kind of stuff. But I'd love to get your thoughts around, you know, where, you know, in academia, why don't we start there? What are, what are some of the effects that you're seeing on the students? What are some of the effects that you're seeing uh, maybe translated from school? Um, what's happening in the schools into the workplace. Yeah, um, I think, you know, first off that we are, we're in the midst of a revolution. <laughs> we really are a worldwide global revolution. And there's no way that that doesn't spill into nursing, you know, and nursing education. But in general, I think that there's definitely, I mean, we have strong data to support that as well, that there's an underrepresentation of certain populations and an overrepresentation of other populations. And nursing is just a really difficult field to get into and to navigate. And without having coming from a certain background and having certain advantages, you know, so, so coming from a certain background and having certain disadvantages makes it much more difficult to enter into a field such as nursing. And so then you get into the nursing classrooms, you know, and where I teach and I'm out here in Southern California, but I'm at a, a school that is less than 2% Black. 
and uh, student-wise and faculty-wise, I knew going there um, that there was only one other full-time Black um, tenure-track faculty. And I knew what I was kind of you know, coming into. And I knew kind of what the situation was going to be. I think that I'm constantly having to prove my competence. I think that I can point to several situations on campus that were, that were, um, I felt discriminated against. And, and I think the really, the, the takeaway message is that, that you have to stop and think whether or not you're being discriminated against because you're black, or is it because of some other reason? So for example, after class was over, and this has happened to me on three separate occasions after class is over. And sometimes I will sit at the front of the class at the computer and just try to finish up a little bit of work. And on three separate occasions, I have had other faculty walk in and, and uh, maybe they have a class in an hour or two after and they'll walk in and say, hey, excuse me, you're not supposed to be on those computers. Those computers are for students. They're for faculty. Wow. So it's like an automatic assumption that I'm not faculty. Now, I actually shared that with the faculty that I work with, with my nursing faculty. And their first reaction was, oh, my God, I would love to be mistaken. It's because you're so young, Sherika. I would love to be mistaken for a student. So again, I'm like one of the only black people there. And so that, I think that is the problem is that you're wondering like, huh, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's because I'm young. I'm only 38. You don't see faculty that are 38. I've been teaching uh, almost 10 years, you know, so they mistake me for the students a lot. But but then you're also like, yeah, but is it that or is it because I'm black, you know? And then when you throw in the added complication of, you know, I'm part of the LGBT community, I identify as woman, but I dress, you know, how I feel comfortable in pants and, and blazers and button downs. And so that adds another layer to it. Like not only am I black and have natural hair locks and I'm really super young and I don't look like the typical, you know, quote unquote feminine nurse. So no one really expects to see me when I first walk into the classroom. And then uh, this has happened to me multiple times as well, where I've been driving around looking for parking and we have a part on our parking um, where we can have faculty can valet their car if there's no other parking. And almost every time I pull up for that, they say, this is for faculty only. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Thanks. And get out and hand them my key. And so <laughs> I can count, you know, several incidences like that. Um, just even around my own neighborhood, walking around with my daughter to the park in basketball shorts and a t-shirt and a backwards hat and had the police called on us twice. You know, so I know this is not quite about nursing education yet, and I'll get there. But just saying that, you know, this is my like day to day existence, um, and and it, it it and and so when all of this stuff came to a head with George Floyd, it was it was literally like a boiler erupting, and everyone kind of saying enough, and and it was so traumatizing for me to watch it on TV to watch this black man dying that really looked a lot like my father. And, and I, you know, I took my daughter to the protests and, and we talked about it and it was a huge deal because, you know, yes, we are in the midst of a revolution anyway, is my point. So when we're in nursing education, we have to be very intentional about what we are teaching our nursing students. And we have to be intentional about not necessarily generalizing and teaching them about a certain ethnicity, but rather how to self-reflect and, and turn that inward, identifying our own biases and addressing those and working through those and how to be not just, I'm not a racist, but how to be anti-racist, right? And, and also anti-everything else, the other ways that people identify 
identify by their religion, by, you know, by their immigration status, by their sexuality, by their gender expression. And, and it's not so much about teaching them about Muslims and about individuals that identify as trans, but rather reflecting on our own biases, because we all have them, and then also reflecting on our own privileges that, that even I have, you know, that even you and I have. And so I think that until we get to that point, we're really not going to move things forward if we just keep saying stuff like, be nice to Black people and be nice to people who are trans, you know, but rather so dealing with our own biases and dealing with our own privileges and learning how to be anti those things is really what's going to move things forward. So before all of this happened, uh, my the organization I currently work at, we actually, our chief compliance officer was getting her um, doctorate. And part of that was um, to deal with uh, bias and implicit bias. And so we all did a uh, this implicit bias bias free test, and I'll put the test in the show notes if anybody's interested in doing it. Um, and you know, it's true what they say. Like you don't realize what your biases are because I went into that thing like, oh no, I know what my biases are, and then I took it and I was like, oh holy smokes, I guess I don't. Um, so it was really interesting to um, to take it and to be a part of that, be in that conversation prior to all of this happening. And what I found though is, you know, we you know, the whole team took the test and then that was it, right? Like we took the test, we kind of found it out and then the conversation ended, right? There wasn't a whole lot of conversation after that point up until everything that, you know, recently has has occurred. And so, you know, it makes me wonder as a nurse leader, aside from really understanding what your biases are and checking yourself, um, what are ways that you can continually be in that conversation? Like, what what does it look like? What does the framework look like? What are things that we can do so that we're supporting inclusivity? Yeah, and and I think that once you was it was it that Harvard implicit bias test? Yes, Is that the one you guys took. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I, you know, and that's, I think that's interesting. And I'm not sure if I have the answer. I'm not sure, you know, this isn't really necessarily my specialty. It's like my only specialty with this is really just being black. <laughs> so I don't necessarily know like the science and what we should do, but I agree is that we take it and we're aware of it, you know, and then what, and then does it change, you know, how we interact with those populations? Does it, you know, because I think what I've realized with these implicit bias tests is a few things, which is that number one, we all have them, even when you're from a marginalized group. And that number two, you could also have implicit bias towards the marginalized group that you are a part of, you know what I mean? And so, so I guess I'm not sure what that next step is. I, I hope that there are people out there that are, have done the research and have done the work and can tell us, you know, but I just, think for sure that that is a piece that's missing for sure at the university where I'm teaching, uh, where my role is, I am um, lead of the diversity support team. So my role is to create, you know, an inclusive and diverse environment for our students, staff and faculty. So I put on these symposiums, um, these diversity symposiums, and we have a keynote speaker and we have these breakout groups and things. And at one point we kind of had a little bit of an ideological clash because I was being told that like this way that I wanted to approach the workshop was going to be too confrontational. And that if I was too confrontational when talking about racism, that I may offend some people, that I may turn some people off from the conversation. And I just couldn't understand how that was more important, right? Why is it more important for me to be mindful of how, let's just say, racist people 
are and how they feel about being confronted with their racism, why is that more important than the ones who are actually experiencing the racism, you know? And so that was kind of my, my, my time to put my foot down and like, look, you guys put me in charge of this for a reason this year, you know, last year we did a soft and fluffy workshop this year. We are going to do an implicit bias workshop and start working through the internal stuff and digging in here. And this year we're going to have the team come from the diversity and inclusion department, because again, this isn't my specialty. Okay. I just know what it's like to be black in America. That's my only qualification here and bring them in to facilitate the workshops and really start to get some of this work. So to be honest, I don't know what is the next step. Um, we're still trying to get to this part where we acknowledge our privileges and recognize our biases. I'll be happy if we just get there because none of my faculty, for example, that I work with realize how invalidated and dismissed I felt when the first thing we were, we're literally giving examples, right? And the first thing they say was, oh, that's because you're young. And I'm, and I'm, you know what I mean? And, and I'm just like, you guys have no idea, you know, what I'm dealing with. And, and I'll just, I want to tell you one other thing really quick is that when the whole George Floyd incident happened, of course, I, like other people, and, and not just Black people, but that was the difference this time, like a lot of people were traumatized by that and like like depressed, like really seriously in tears, traumatized and crying. And, and nine days had passed. Um, and that's why I'm glad we're not mentioning the schools, but nine days had passed. And, and I felt like our school of nursing hadn't put out a statement to our students. Nine days had passed. We're in the midst of riots, looting. It's on the news day and night. And how privileged are you that this is like, literally someone emailed me around like day four and said, hi, Dr. Miller, I hope you're enjoying this weather. Like, are you, are you serious? Are you watching the news? And so I kind of confronted, you know, all of my faculty and, and, and the leadership, the people who were, who were over me. And I was very transparent. I was like, I should have put out a statement. I'm lead of diversity support team, but I'm going to tell you guys why I haven't, because I am tired. I'm doing the emotional labor. Like I am exhausted. So somebody else besides me needs to put out this statement and let our 1.5% of black students know, as well as the rest of our students who are multi-ethnic and just care about black people that we support them. And you know, the responses that I got were just further highlighting some of the ignorance. I got responses like, oh yeah, you know, I can't sleep at night either. This is from white, white colleagues, all white colleagues, um, because I have a special needs child and, you know, special needs kids are profiled by the police. So I'm scared too. You know, I got phone calls or basically like, I'm not racist phone calls, you know, and like, I, I have been in these neighborhoods and I work with black people every day and I'm doing the work at, at work and, my black patients ask for me. And I'm just like, what does any of this have to do with anything? Like you guys are so tone deaf that, that your responses to even this email is tone deaf. And it makes me wonder, and, and, and it kind of makes me separate a little bit. My emo, I have to create an emotional boundary sometimes because I will get exhausted trying to do all the work to explain to them why their responses were tone deaf. So instead I just said, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for reaching out. Cause I, I couldn't do it. Wow. Talk about, um, like muffling, uh, any progress or stifling any progress. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's um it's disappointing to hear, and unfortunately, it's not surprising. Yeah, it was very disappointing. Well, we've got a lot of work to do. I, I do actually have a guest scheduled um, that'll be coming on to talk about implicit bias. So um, that is her specialty. So I can uh, share okay. with you her info after our recording um, if you guys are interested in using her. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's been a, it's, this uh, episode has been a journey. I, we've talked about like the highs and the lows and the scary and the unforgiving. Um, you know, I've had just such an amazing time listening to your story, you know, getting your thoughts around everything that's happening, talking about your organization. Um, Sharika, this has been phenomenal. If people are, are interested in finding out more about you, where can they find you? Absolutely. Uh, I'm mostly on Instagram. So my coaching page is Doc Miller Nurse Coach. And on there, I give a lot of content in terms of leveling up in your profession, different career options beyond the bedside, going back to school, etc. And then my other page is Starter Nurse Academy. So that is all aimed towards new grads. And I facilitate one free workshop every month. This month, we're doing it on bullying, um, how to deal with nurse bullies at the bedside. And then I have one paid workshop every month. And next month on uh will be on bedside reporting a two-hour masterclass on bedside reporting so they're all different topics related to new grads they were mostly professional development related at first for them getting a job and now i'm finally moving more towards the this is how you thrive as a new grad beyond just the actual technical skill part of it so they can find me on instagram doc miller nurse coach or starter nurse academy oh, that's been awesome thank you so much for your time 